I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. Discuss a book published by Pontifex University Press. Could you hold this up? Sure. Of God's Dealings with the Minds of Men, uh, Essays on Biblical Inspiration, Mysticism, and the Imagination by Father Vincent McNabb. So, Matt, great to have you here today. Here we are in the courtyard garden at St. Jerome's Convent. In uh, Good to be here, David. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. And uh, we're in very close to Berkeley, California, a place called El Cerrito. Um, and uh, you were the editor of this book. So this is a republication of a book that was first published in 1903. Yes. Um, now, first of all, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you discovered the book. So what's what's your interest? Where are you coming at this from initially in your training, hmm. which I think is interesting? Well, my academic background uh, is uh, in philosophy and theology. I studied at the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology in Berkeley, just down the road from here, uh, and did, a, did my thesis on Dionysius and Aquinas. Uh, so, I mean, anyone who goes to school with the Dominicans uh, does 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 work with Thomas, and so yes. I have that sort of Thomistic background in the, in the interest in Dominicans as well. Um, I mean, as far as uh, the material for the book is concerned, I think um, were you were you kind of interested in what it was that struck me about the book? Yeah. Or? So, yeah. First of all, why are you in a position to, to look at this? So you're now working. Oh, right. what, what's what's your current job? And then you because I know that you see. Mm. Books pass before <laughs> your eyes all day, should yeah. we say? <laughs> yes, that's true. So, uh, I um, after graduating from the Dominican school, I ended up getting a job uh, first as a combination library assistant and adjunct philosophy professor at St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo Park, which is the local um, diocesan seminary, trains priests for the Archdiocese of San Francisco and a number of other jurisdictions. Um, and eventually I was moved into a full-time position in the library. And so I'm constantly coming across old books that are, you know, maybe collecting dust. Some of them <laughs> deservedly so, um, <laughs> others, uh, I think, uh, in, being in need of rediscovery. Um, yeah. and so, uh, we had come up with this idea of perhaps republishing some books. And at some point, I think I, uh, sent you an email with a list of uh, you and Charlie with an email with a list of titles. Uh, I think some of them were books that I'd found in the collection. I just I come across all the a lot of old books, and then this one I can't remember exactly how I found. I I, I believe it was on, uh, uploaded onto archive.org, um, and so there was already part part of the, part of what was determining whether we whether we whether we did this, if I'm remembering correctly, is that a lot of these books already had. Um, OCR text recognition manuscripts online. So it was just a matter of taking those manuscripts and uh, making them uh, fit for public consumption um, rather than having to say, you know, scan the books ourselves and retype or retype anything or anything like that. Right. So but I, we probably won't go into what OCR is, but this, this <laughs> is uh, what you're saying is that this was readily available. It's, it's, uh, it's something that's, uh, we know we can republish readily. Uh, well, that, yeah, yeah, it's in public domain. Yes. So it was published in nineteen oh three, which means that uh, the copyright on it has expired. I think another another aspect of this is that um, uh, for the reason why we ended up choosing 
this book, I mean, one of the things that led to that particular list of books being the way it was, was that these were all books that hadn't been republished in handsome editions. And I I make that last uh, note just just because um, there are these book republishing services that will just take scans of books and republish them with generic covers and not do anything Mm -hmm. in addition to to that. Uh, And I think this book was available online as like a scan or something. Um, But our idea was to take this and really retypeset it and include explanatory footnotes and maybe some new prefatory material and make it into some like a, a, bo- a book that someone would want to have on his shelf, which I don't think can really be said of those uh, those kind of scan mat- yeah. scan reproduction type releases. Right. So aside from the production side, you, mm-hmm. you referred to Charlie, my colleague Charlie Dice, who works yes. with me here at Pontifex, Pontifex University Press, um, and we looked at this. And I, when you sent the, a list of possible titles, immediately I saw the name Vincent McNabb. Mm. Thought, well, I know. He's a well-known figure, especially by those in the land movement and the distributors movement, yes. which is, is not something I'm I'm wholly behind, shall we say. But nevertheless, there is an interest. This is a it's topical. There's a good dis, good sort of discussion about this at the moment. Um, and I should say too that, uh, that yeah. working as I do at a seminary, I have a lot of contact with seminarians uh, and use, they're the main patrons for the library and. I was talking about this project or this idea for a project with a couple of them at one point and mentioned mm. some, I think I mentioned some possible titles. And w- one of the titles I mentioned, I said, was a book by Vincent McNabb. And one of the seminarians' faces lit up and he said, oh, M- Vincent McNabb. So I realized at that point that McNabb, I mean, I, I, I'd heard of him before. So obviously I knew that he had name recognition in that sense. But like, I realized that he had name recognition uh, in a broader sense that, you know, pe- people, people like these, like, the seminarians at St. Patrick's would just know about him if, if they saw, or know, know who the book was by if they saw yes. it on Amazon. Now, of course, it's, it's one thing to have name recognition for the author. It has to be worth reading mm, yes. as well. Um, I know what's, the, the certain things caught my eye, but what, what was it about the subject matter? Perhaps just summarize what's contained within it, it's, and then just, just tell us in the broadest terms what caught your eye about it? What made you think it might be of interest to other people today? Sure. Well, I, I should mention that in a way, this is a republication of a republication. So it's it wasn't originally written as one cohesive work. Uh, it was originally a series of essays that were published. I think I think four of them in American Ecclesiastical Review, one in American Catholic Quarterly, and then another as the foreword to a book on mysticism, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, or on anchorites, maybe. Um, but I, I think part of the appeal for me was uh, the fact that it was on a collection of topics that seemed like they would be of perennial and continuing interest to people. So if you look at the the, the titles of the essays, I mean, one is on imagination and faith. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another one, and that's something that, that is simply talked about a, a lot, as you noted yes. in your forward, new forward to the book. That's something that's talked about a lot in Catholic circles. Um, the idea of the Catholic imagination. Uh, Vic McNabb has an essay in here on St. Thomas on the creation story in Genesis and how Thomistic principles can be used to um, reconcile modern science with uh, with the creation narrative. Uh, he has two essays on uh, inspiration and revelation, one focusing on Thomistic principles and another looking at um, the work of Cardinal Newman, um, kind of give, trying to uh, give an evaluation of Newman's work uh, 
maybe give it a mild critique in some respects, but also um, defend him if, uh, uh, against some of his detractors. Yeah. Uh, and then let's see, the other essay is one, one is on mysticism, and that's, again, a topic of perennial interest. Yeah. Uh, and what was the last one? Um, it was, I have the book right here. Um, uh, oh, Scholasticism and the Modern Method. Um, and that one, I think uh, there's, there's something good about looking at the role of conti the, conti the continued role of scholasticism that scholasticism can, can play in dialogue with modern thought. And I think actually that's, this wasn't maybe consciously informing me at the time, but uh, there has been kind of a resurgence of scholasticism an interest in scholasticism and in Thomas Aquinas in recent years. And so the yes. idea that uh, scholasticism would have something to say to people who are interested in modern philosophy, uh, to modern thinkers, um, there's some, again, there's relevance there. Yeah. So I, it just it just struck me as a as a, a a collection of essays, all on most or all on topics that would be of interest to the average reader. Yes. Or at least the average Catholic uh, <laughs> Catholic reader with intellectual uh, interests. Yeah. It's 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 interesting. He's uh, quite a dense writer. I mean, yes. it, 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 the, and I'm extremely grateful to you. I, I read through it and I was interested in the topics, but. Um, I, you've written quite a lot of explanatory notes explaining the terminology and of course your background at the Dominican school um, helped you there um, and the things that caught my eye I just I should say one is the uh, the reference to the imagination particularly uh, and also his description of mysticism in that we we seem to live in an age today in, where um, in these things are either described in two different ways. One, uh, it's almost highly rational. And, and so things like mysticism are just discount, discounted as delusion in a mm. way. Um, and uh, the other one, the other extreme, is to feel it, just to think of it in an almost sort of exaggerated new agey way, just sort of driven by emotion, these things just appear mm. out of the blue or something. Um, without really engaging the, the, the uh, natural human faculties, if you, if you want to describe that. And what I what I loved about his approach is that he is um, dealing with these terms, but he's not he's not going into either extreme at all. It, it's, mm. it's a very sober account, and um, it's even Catholic. So for example, I come across a lot of people talking about the creativity of artists mm. and even Catholics who are orthodox and genuinely trying to uh, be creative in the context of their faith will stray towards what I feel is this sort of overly charismatic uh, language. Mm. Um, and he really does strike a balance, I, I think, in that. Now, um, you would, when we were talking before, you mentioned something that particularly interested me. That's his approach to scriptural uh, analysis. Yes. So perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that and, and how he approaches it. Sure. Yeah. Oh well, uh, you mean his understanding of uh, scriptural re uh, revelation and inspiration? Well, that and also the his, sort of historical critical analysis. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think just I think what's what's um, surprising and refreshing is his open his openness on the one hand his openness to modern methods of biblical criticism and on the other hand his um 
obvious desire to stay true to the deposit of faith. Um, and I think that there, there's something very attractive, at least for me personally, about that combi the, the combination of uh, being willing to take the truth wherever one finds it, while at the same time uh, maintaining a strict fidelity to the, the truths that have been revealed to us um, in, in, in uh, Catholic, Catholic doctrine. Um, and I think, so I think that that seems to be what's kind of informing his approach to questions like uh, the interpretation of Genesis um, or, I, I mean, in, in, in another context, um, how he looks at the, the, form, the formation of, of, of scripture. Uh, he's, he's very careful to say that um, uh, on the one hand, it's, we, can, we can maybe affirm certain aspects of the documentary hypothesis. Um, on the other hand, uh, we also have to maintain that scripture is inspired. Uh, yes. So I think, I think it's that balance that he strikes that um, I, I find refreshing. Yes. This, this is something that can be puzzling to non-Catholics. I, I, as you were talking, I, was, uh, I remember having a conversation with somebody in the, the philosophy department at UC Berkeley, actually, who thought that uh, there would be a contradiction between being a Catholic and an authentic search for truth. Mm. That, that at some point you'd have to put away uh, your freedom, if you sort of mean to discern. But of course, for Catholics, it isn't like that at all. Each uh, the, the the light of faith, if you like, guides us to what is true. And um, if anything were shown, or the faith was shown not to be true, if that were possible. It, it hasn't been. I don't believe it is. But then I would have to accept it. But uh, it, there is. But what you're saying is correct. There is an authentic search for truth from Catholics and. The faith is just really shining a light on that and helping us to to see it. And uh, as you say, it, it comes through in um, in Vince, what Vincent McNabb uh, says. Um, I can't help but think, uh, there, yeah. without going off on a, into, a on, into a rabbit hole on this, um, there's a, a talk that was given a number of years ago by Russell Hittinger uh, from the University of Tulsa in which he talks about two different styles of Thomism in the early 20th, I think it was the late 19th and early 20th century, okay. that he he connected in some ways, at least loosely with Leo XIII and Pius X. Uh, and he described one, if I'm not remembering correctly, as synthetic Thomism and the other is legislative Thomism. And I think the, the idea of legislative Thomism being the use of Thomistic principles to place restrictions on what could and couldn't be studied or uh, asserted propositionally, uh, which became uh, dominant in some ways after uh, 1907 with the modernist uh, the encyclical um, condemning modernism with the, the rise of the modernist crisis. And he saw that as being somewhat in contrast to a kind of the, the Leonine approach to um, Thomas, which was uh, to take uh, Thomistic principles and apply them to modern problems in a, fr in a fruitful dialogue. And I think that uh, that's much more that 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 second category, the or the the synthetic Thomism, is much more characteristic of how McNabb is uh, conducting yeah. himself in these essays. Right, and I, you made again as we were discussing this uh, before we started recording. The, you made an interesting comment about the fact that his description of the um, biblical analysis. You, I think, did you say that it? it 
this was an essay that perhaps couldn't have been published 20 years later. Even 10 years later, I okay. think. Um, just because there was, um, uh, I mean, I, we said this, these essays were published, I think, between 1901 and 1902, or 1900 and 1902. The book was published in 1903. Four years later, um, Pius X uh, released the encyclical Pescendi, which uh, amounted to a condemnation of what he called modernism. Uh, and I think that my, my I, I'm not an expert on the history of this period, but my understanding is that that initiated a period in which there was there had to be more caution on the part of people who were writing about controversial issues, lest they run afoul of, uh, rightly or wrongly, of, of, the, of the Roman authorities. Um, and I think uh, it's, 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 there's, there's an incident that happened a few, maybe seven, five to seven years after the release of that encyclical with McNabb that I think is telling both with regard to the changed atmosphere of the times and also with regard to McNabb's attitude toward authority um, in, a, in a positive way. Uh, there was a uh, an article, I believe it was written for the tablet uh, by a Jesuit, uh, Father Laddie, I think. And McNabb wrote a response to, to that article asking some questions about some possible issues that were raised by it. Uh, I believe that the topic was uh, something about the, 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 per, the parousia or like the, the second coming of Christ. Um, <clears throat> and apparently McNabb received some pushback from Rome on uh, for this letter, for whatever the content of the letter was, and wrote essentially another letter to the tablet within a few months or maybe a year, within a year later uh, saying, uh, it's come to my attention that some of the things I said might have been construed or might have uh, as being problematic or might have been problematic in some way. And I just want to make clear that I uh, retract anything I said that may have uh, had uh, could be taken in a sense contrary to the Catholic faith. And I submit myself to the authority of the Holy See. So I think that, like I said, that I think that illustrates both that there, the times were more charged after that point, uh, but that also McNabb himself was willing to go along with the changed mm. circumstances and submit himself to authority when the authority uh, demanded that submission. Right. Uh, but so where would these that the, these essays then stand today that um, they're not going to be condemned by Rome? Oh, no, I don't today. think so. <laughs> I mean, and I, I should I should make clear we, we, yeah. we put this in, in the on the copyright page of the book. These 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 essay or this book did get uh, an imprimatur uh, yes. and a Neil Obstat, I believe, when it when it was when it was published. So it wasn't uh, something that was published and then condemned or something like that. Uh, yes. Um, and actually, it it uh, it seems to me that we've, in a way, we've come well, not, if not full circle, but we've taken an art back more into the sort of position that he was taking today. But I'm talking about Orthodox Catholics. Yes, are probably going to think more closely to the way McNabb does than those. Uh, uh, did in 1920 or something like that. So well, I mean, that's how I, it struck me. I was saying earlier that uh, yeah. McNabb is con uh, McNabb's approach is characterized by both fidelity and also openness. Um, mm. And I think that that's that's how people have tended to characterize, for example, um, Benedict the Sixteenth, Joseph Ratzinger's yes. approach to uh, the Gospels in yes. Jesus of Nazareth books, uh, that he wants to take the best from. The historical critical method, while at the same time read, still reading the scriptures in the light of faith, uh, and I think that's that's yes. very much 
the spirit that is informing McNabb's approach to, to, to scripture as well. Yes, and, and of course being uh, open to direction from tradition and the church fathers as well, which yes. is very important. Um, so yeah, well, we'd encourage people to, to read this book. We could go on. It's available on Amazon.com. Um, and at a fairly low price, if I'm not mistaken. It's yeah, I think it's pretty reasonable. Eight ninety-five price. or nine ninety-five. Yeah, or yeah, something like it's that. pretty good. Yes. Um, and uh, what I'd uh, w there's a couple of interesting things that come out. First of all, his uh, we were trying to work it out. His great gr uh, the grand nephew is it? Of Vincent it great, great nephew. Great great nephew. So in other words, his grandfather's brother was yes. Vincent McNabb. Great grandfather's brother. Great grandfather's brother. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Um, who is a, a Catholic and a lay Dominican and writer, got in touch with us and said he was thrilled to see that this book uh, was published and it was particularly uh, appropriate to his personal interests, particularly on uh, inspiration and mysticism. Hmm. Um, and so uh, we've asked him whether he would be interested in writing a foreword to the next book that we're, going to, we're thinking of uh, bringing out what so what what's what are you what's next do you think uh well um we uh, I, I mentioned that i've i come across a lot of books yeah. at the library and um i probably shouldn't say the title at this point yeah. just to kind of keep <laughs> things under wraps yes but i found another mcnab book that like this one um hadn't been uh republished in a handsome edition um and actually, from what I can tell, is has completely flown under the radar. It's uh, sort of a seems like a, a and it seems like a bit of a lost a lost treasure. It, it has. I was looking through the the table of contents and flipping through some of the essays, and they they look uh, it, it looks like a real winner. So uh, we're planning to get that out uh, sooner rather than later. And this is more of a sort of personal reflection, isn't it? From it's a mix. Now. Yeah, yeah okay. it has some of his personal reflections. I think. From what I can tell, some of the stories may even be some of the Freudian slips. Some of the essays may even be written almost in a kind of story-like fashion. Okay. Um, but then he also has essays on Saint Thomas. Uh, he has an essay on the liturgy that I, that I thought looked particularly interesting. Oh, um, was. Yeah. Yes. So it's a. It seems like a promising uh, next next step for our republication of McNabb. Right. Well, I can't wait to talk to you about that when that comes out and we'll be able to reveal more details at, the, at that time. Yes. Um, and so until then, Matt Horwitz, thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others to find it too. Also, if you're interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.